More and more people are moving to cities, and that's going to affect almost every industry. We are very cautious and very aware to make a conscious effort to work with the ecosystem. What can the average person do to take action now? Not one person can change the world, but if we all do a little something different, it might help. Being open to embracing innovation. Know that you can make a difference. A absolutely. There's no excuse not to even do a little bit. Let's go check it out. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Green Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Welch, and I'm particularly excited about our guest today. Um, I love meeting Renaissance men, is basically the best way I can describe this person. <laughs> he's active, he's doing cool stuff, he's smart, he's successful, he's a writer. Um, someone I honestly have been looking up to for a long time from a distance, so when we were able to get connected and have him on the podcast, I was very excited uh, because... His career trajectory is doing amazing things, and it's kind of what I've been trying to follow myself. So without any further introduction, we've got Troy Helming, the CEO of EarthGrid. Troy, thank you very much for being here today. really appreciate it. Oh, Dylan, thanks so much for having me. Honored to be on the show. So let's dive into it. Tell us a little bit about EarthGrid and how the company got formed and what you're working on. Yeah, sure. So, uh, and I can show a quick 20 second video if you want uh, at some point, but basically I came up with the idea uh, for EarthGrid in 2015. I have been building solar farms and wind farms for most of my career, about 30 years. And um, in 2015, we had a contract with a big utility for a solar farm and they downsized it by 75% because the grid just couldn't handle all that solar power. And this happens over and over again. In fact, I've had to abandon solar and wind farms many, many times because the grid is so bad. Anyway, we were having a happy hour to kind of commiserate, and one of my solar engineers, Dominic, he's a former Navy SEAL, and he was bragging to his girlfriend in happy hour in San Francisco, you know, hey, you know, my SEAL team, we used to uh, practice injuring enemy ships underwater by cutting through the side of the ship with a plasma cutting torch. It was 20,000 degrees, I think, to take your arm off, you know, but we'd cut a hole in, water would rush, rush in, and we'd practice taking over the ship. And we're like, oh, wow, dude, you're a badass. Anyway, that night, middle of the night, I woke up thinking, huh, plasma, 20,000 degrees. I wonder if that's hot enough to melt rocks. So I'm researching, oh, yeah, it's actually hot enough to vaporize it. And I just couldn't stop thinking about the idea because if we could put power lines underground and our fiber and, and cable lines and everything else, it would make it a lot more resilient and it would solve so many problems. But it's always been like 20 times more expensive to put power lines underground. Couldn't stop thinking. Anyway, finally hired an engineering firm, study, feasibility study. Yes, it'll work. Two, no one is doing this. Three, you can bore at speeds of one kilometer per day. And here's what your number four, your operating costs. And I ran the numbers. I'm like, whoa, that's like 10 times cheaper than all the contractors I've hired to bore tunnels underneath creeks and rivers and railroad tracks. So anyway, that's the origin of the idea. Um, built prototypes and started vaporizing rock and making lava back in 2017. <laughs> I love it, man. Nothing like a happy hour with a Navy SEAL to get the creative juices flowing, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're like, yeah. all right, you're a badass. I want to be a badass. How can we make this happen? Um, that's really cool, man. But so you've done a lot. I mean, you say 30 year career, but like in those 30 years, you've done a lot of stuff. So where does your background start? Is it in engineering? Is it in renewable energy? Or where did you kind of get this, this passion for clean tech, but also the entrepreneurial drive as well? Yeah, so um, probably not going to believe this, but I, I've been in solar since 1980. So that's 42 years now. Um, 
I'm 54, and so obviously I was a kid in the 80s. It was one of my chores to maintain our solar hot water heating system at my dad's greenhouse. So we heated the pool, the hot tub, the domestic water, and then in the wintertime we shut the pool off, and then it heated the air in the house with our, our you know copper coils and our four furnaces preheated the air. So kind of got an early exposure you know to clean energy. It saved us a ton of money on our natural gas. My dad's a diehard conservative Republican. My mom is super liberal Democrat. And you know, so I guess I'm in the middle. I'm independent. But uh, anyway, um, but uh, you know, growing up in that time in the 70s and 80s, they were talking about the oil shocks, oil prices, and you know, and how we we're dependent on foreign oil and blah, blah, blah. So it kind of shaped me from an early age. But there were no jobs in clean energy when I got my business degree in the 1990s. So eventually I started the very first wind farm company in Kansas. Uh, it's called Trade Wind Energy and uh, made a ton of mistakes, but started going out trying to develop wind farms. Um, was an active advocate for it, became a public speaker, even wrote the book, The Clean Power Revolution, uh, to talk about you know, what we need to do. And, and by the way, in here, I, I, I describe how we need 270 new transmission lines to unlock all the cheap wind and solar power and get it to our cities. But it was really tough in the 90s, I gotta say. I, my picture was on the dartboard of a utility in, in the Midwest. Uh, we got death threats from the hunting club affiliated with uh, Coke Industries in Kansas. Um, and, and you know, it was, it was really hard. But the company that I started, Tradewind Energy, I sold most of my shares in 2004 and, and switched to solar, but Tradewind became the largest developer of wind power in the United States in 2017. And I think they were number two in 2018. They've done $35 billion worth of projects. So I guess that makes me a unicorn founder. <laughs> Congratulations, man. I love, uh, I love how you've got the like conservative dad, the liberal mom, and, and I have a very similar background. And I think that's always been kind of the goal with green.org is People can have different um, political leanings, but at the end of the day, you know, if it saves you money, which I'm sure your dad really loved, like, cool, makes sense to me. Even if you don't care about the environment, we all love to save money. And then on the flip side, you've got the people that do care. So yeah. um, I like how, you know, that's, that's kind of always been the goal of this is bringing together those two sides. So it's cool to hear that you're able to do that. Um, tell us a little bit about EarthGrid today. Like what are, what's happening with the company as we speak on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay, yeah, great. So we are um, basically a utility. We have filed to become a regulated utility in California and six other states. Actually, excuse me, we've filed in 30 states. We've been approved in seven states now. Um, and what that means is we, as a utility, we can now put our tunnels along any public roadway for power lines, fiber lines, water, you name it. Um, and so that's a that's a really big deal. That means no one can say no. And that's the hardest part about putting new infrastructure in is the NIMBYs and the bananas. I'm sure you know NIMBYs, not my backyard. Bananas, that stands for, those are people who say, build absolutely nothing anywhere, nowhere, anytime. <laughs> and so in getting permits for solar and wind farms over the years, it's it's hard. You know, there's always a group of people that, that fight everything you do. And with overhead transmission, it's almost impossible because uh, the government can't force it. Um, so uh, anyway, but going underground so much easier. So that's been done. We built prototype one, prototype two. We tested boring. The picture you see behind me here, we bored through uh, limestone, sandstone, basalt, uh, granite, shale, gabbro, soil, clay, sand, everything, you know, wet, dry, you name it. And we've de-risked a lot of the technology. And, and so we're building machine number three now to build really big, well, they're not uh, two and a half meter diameter tunnels. You know, that's about eight feet for people who 
the only place on the planet I think that still uses feet is the United States. Everyone else is metric, but um, two and a half meters is big enough for people to walk around inside. Uh, and we have 19 signed contracts from customers and a whole bunch more in negotiations. So we're going to start boring uh, those bigger tunnels probably by the end of this year or early 2022. Congratulations. That's, that's amazing, honestly. What has been the biggest challenge of getting EarthGrid up and running? Because you have a lot of moving parts and components. So what has been the biggest hurdle for you as you know, the CEO, the entrepreneur, the, the brain behind everything? Yeah, well, um, frankly, the biggest challenge was I sold my first patent to another company. They're called Petra now, and there was um, some drama and dispute there. I was part of the company, still am a big shareholder there, but they went, they went a different direction. And, and so that kind of slowed me down for a few years. And then EarthGrid, which I formed in 2016, uh, filed our own patents for the larger tunnels and a faster, more efficient process. Um, and, and, and I you know, to be fully transparent, I had to, to sue my former co-founder over the other company. I won the first lawsuit and the second one's ongoing. It's going really well, but uh, that probably slowed us down about three years. Um, so that's unfortunate. But since, since then, the last year and a half to two years, it's been amazing. Um, we just started raising money outside. I bootstrapped the company well into seven figures of cash, plus another well into seven figures of work and kind from me and the rest of the team. But uh, uh, we started raising money last month, and it's going really well. Just yesterday, we found a lead investor who committed, um, and so we're going to have a really big uh, seed round. Um, so raising money has been challenging. That you know that other uh, legal dispute was a, was a challenge. That's behind us for the most part now. The only other challenge really has been um, the strategy of, of trying to figure out how to get these projects approved, and as I just described, becoming a utility um, that was the brainchild of Rochelle uh, Chong. She's a former um, FCC commissioner at the federal level and California Public Utility Commissioner. Anyway, so that was that was tough. But once we figured that out, we have some secret sauce there. Um, then then we really uh, we really were off to the races. So I, I don't think anything can stop us now. <laughs> nice. That's what I like to hear. What? Uh, so you've done a lot of stuff in your career. I think you have forty patents. Is it? Yeah, well, 40 claims. Actually, it's more okay. than that now. Yeah, with floating solar and, and the plasma tunnel boring robot. Yeah. You've got patents, you've written the book, you've got businesses, you've sold businesses. What would you say has been sort of the most like gratifying win that you've experienced throughout your career? Um, well, there's some very gratifying things with my family, you know, having, having my son and, and being a great dad to him is very gratifying. But in the career, I would say, um, Seeing with my, my solar company, Pristine Sun, um, I'll tell you just a quick story. In 2000, let's see, this was 2014, we had 15 solar farm contracts with a big utility in California. And we, we had a deal um, with a, a company, and I can be public about it. It was Panasonic, or, well, technically Sonyo, and then Sonyo was acquired by Panasonic. And after the acquisition, they, they, for whatever reason, they decided not to honor the $50 million construction loan that we had to build all these projects. And we had to get all 15 projects to what's called mechanical completion, which is mostly done, you know, almost done with construction, by August 17th of 2014. I'll never forget that date. And um, we had six months to do it, and they still hadn't given us the money. And we were like, oh, my God. And so finally, I realized, I talked to my lawyers. I said, hey, um, Tara Kawasan, who was the CEO of Sanyo, 
the division had said, here's a press release, let's do this. And then after, you know, Panasonic acquired them, he got fired, his team got fired. And anyway, I was like, huh, let's issue the press release. So, and this is all public, but we, we did, we issued it. Panasonic didn't know that, that there was even a press release, so we issued it. They start getting calls from all over the world. Hey, congratulations about that great deal with Christine Sun. Anyway, about a month later, the money came in. We got all 15 projects built. We saved them. We call them the Phoenix 15 because they were dead and everyone said the whole portfolio was dead and they rose from the ashes because we got them all built in time. Um, but seeing 15 big solar farms get constructed that summer, you know, with crews working at all 15 sites from sunrise to sunset and even to have that much clean energy, you know, injected into the grid back when it was still pretty early in the solar farm uh, development uh, uh, cycle. So six months and you got all of those done? Yeah. Wow. What, how long on average does it take one to complete just for a reference point? Yeah, it depends on how big it is. These were, you know, like two, three megawatts each, but typically three to four months of actual construction. But before that, you've got maybe another six months of procurement, getting all the equipment, you know, ordered, you know, designed, ordered, built, uh, designed, ordered, and shipped. And then prior to that, another year or two of engineering and development permits and everything. So the whole process is like two or three years, but the actual construction, call it three, well, three to six months typically. Um, and, and, you know, and that's for one. And, and so getting 15 of them done in, in six months, actually it was more like five and a half months. Um, it was, it, it was tough. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds tough, but I think it's cool. You know, when you're on the, your, your backs against the wall and you're able to just figure out a way to get that deadline. I think that's, you know, something that probably gave you a lot of confidence as a business owner, as a, a project manager, as a problem solver that you're like, cool, we made that happen. Anything else is just easy from here. Kind of, um, yeah, it kind of is. I mean, we were this close to bankruptcy as a company, and and now you know we financially we've been profitable pretty much every year since then, and and we've done well. Yeah, yeah. So one thing you mentioned, which I think is pretty cool, is you said you're very um, grateful for your family as well and your son. Um, I noticed that you're very active. You're on American Ninja Warrior. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I've been invited to be on the show um, for four seasons, seasons 10 through, uh, through 13. Um, so yeah, through, through last year, through 2021. So I'm a huge believer. I, I run my own company. I work a little bit in renewable energy and clean tech, not nearly as much as you, obviously. But I think having that balance of physical health, mental health also really helps kind of your like career health. Um, how has how have you been able to kind of separate like all right guys i know we've got these deadlines to hey i know we're busy but i'm gonna go work out like how in your experience why is that important for your life in general it's a really good question and and finding the balance i think you mentioned earlier too yeah so for me well first of all i should say that competing as a as a ninja it's a pretty tough all sports are tough but you know it's a pretty tough sport to get especially someone my age i started in my late 40s and to get to a level where I can be an elite competitor, like last weekend I competed at regionals and I got second place, not in the master's category, which is the easiest category for people over 40, and not in the adult male category, which is harder, but you know, still not the hardest. I competed in the elite, which is the professional category, and I still got second place um, and, and advanced the world. So how can someone my age do that? Well. I sold most of my solar company back in 2017 to focus on EarthGrid, <clears throat> and and so I was able to take about six months 
um, and really train hard. I had a dad bod, you know, belly fat for sure, spare tire. Um, I've been doing yoga most of my life and rock climber since, um, you know, since the 1990s off and on. And I was a gymnast in college um, and, a, and a yell leader, male cheerleader. So, you know, I had some athletic background, but I was out of shape anyway. So getting in shape was, was hard. And it was, a, it was a solid six month workout literally every single day but then maintaining it is easier. And so I find that um, I have a lot more energy and I'm a lot more productive in my career and playing with my son and, you know, and being a, a good husband and, you know, taking my wife out for, you know, kayaking on, on the bay or whatever, you know, I just have a lot more energy to do things because I'm in such good shape. And so I don't think I could achieve what I've achieved over the last several years without having the level of fit, physical fitness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. And I think, you know, a lot of times out there, especially if you're starting your own business, you run your own company, there's a lot of sort of this almost like negative information where it's like hustle nonstop from the second you wake up to the second you go to bed, like that's how you make it. And I used to kind of like, you know, believe that. And that was kind of my lifestyle. I didn't care at all about, you know, working out or taking care of, you know, my mental health. And then I decided one day, okay, you know, like, Overall, companies running pretty smooth. I'm going to scale it back and then focus a lot more energy on just self-improvement and, and physical health and mental health. And by doing that, even though I was working less in my business, it actually helped me so much more because like when you're working out, you've got the endorphins. That's where I noticed a lot of my really good businesses come from or my business ideas come from. Totally. You separate yourself from just those little minute details that you're focusing on and you can kind of think big picture. Um, Same. so that's something I always really like to like share and stress with our audience too. Like, yeah, it's important to run a business and, you know, make it, you know, bring in revenue and make sure your team is, everything's going smoothly, but take that time to focus on yourself too, because a lot of times that's when those really big breakthroughs come. And I'm sure, you know, you've been in the gym a lot. You're just in your own thoughts, running, working up a sweat. Like you're probably thinking about business stuff. But absolutely, you've got, you know, you're, you're a little bit outside the, the office or the computer and that's when you can really get those, those good things going. So um, I just want to say thank you for being here again. Like the lifestyle that you live, the businesses you've built, it's very admirable. Um, I know we've never even interacted before this, which is pretty cool, but I just wanted to say from afar, I've really admired what you're doing. And I want to thank you for taking some time to be here today. I really appreciate it, Dylan. It's my pleasure to be here. What uh, So what can our audience do to get involved with what you're doing? Are you currently raising funds? Is there anything that we can do to support you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, we, we are. We have a, an angel round. We won first place at a few like angel pitch events last month and the month before. And uh, so we are uh, raising money on angel. And then we're about to launch with a company called Net Capital, where it's available to anybody, um, you know, even smaller check sizes. Uh, the angel minimum check size is twenty-five thousand, but um, you know, net capital will have a much lower. So yeah, if folks want to get involved that way. Um, it's a little more liquid too, because I think their platform. If someone ever wants to sell their stock, they can offer it to another buyer on like a private exchange. Um, but I guess the other thing would be that if if anyone wants you know, infrastructure in their neighborhood or their town or city um, to be buried, that's where we really would love to, to hear from you because we want to, you know, bury the power lines in neighborhoods to make them more resilient in case there's an ice storm or tornado, hurricane, earthquake, whatever, you know, so those things are more resilient. 
And I'll just say one thing super cool. We have a letter of intent signed with a venture capital backed company. I can't disclose the name um, because of confidentiality, but they're working with the big e-commerce companies, the Amazons and everybody. Imagine a tube delivering your Amazon parcels directly to a box in your garage. Uh, the tube goes underground and it pops up, you know, like kind of the old banks, you know, um, blows it through with air or little robots or whatever. That's what this company has developed and they want to use our tunnels to do that. So imagine every house in the neighborhood having two boxes in their garage, one for stuff coming in and one for all your trash, compost, recycling going out and then goes off site for, you know, 100 miles or whatever and gets sorted. That's the kind of thing we want to do. And of course, also have super high speed broadband and 100% renewable energy delivered to everybody's home. So those are the kinds of neighborhoods we're looking to, you know, to build out our system in. Amazing. I, I can't wait to follow your journey and hopefully have you back on the show in six months or a year and uh, just kind of follow along and learn more about it. So Troy, thank you again for being here. Um, to everyone who's listening, watching, check out EarthGrid, get involved, um, check out Troy's book. Um, Troy mentioned a video as well. I'll get that from him and I will share that on our social media channels. So you can check that out too. Uh, but again, Troy, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks Dylan. Thanks for everyone that's listening. And yes, thanks to everyone who's listening. Um, again, our goal at green.org is to bring inspirational leaders in renewable energy, clean tech, sustainability, share their story, share what's going on in the world and give you some ways to get um, involved as well. So thank you for tuning in. Every time you share, like, listen, it means a lot to us. We appreciate your time and we'll see you on the next episode of The Green Podcast.